Amen. Wonderful to see you all this morning. Thank you very much, Theo. Uh, we're going to turn straight away this morning, if you've got your Bible, to uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. I spoke from this not 100 years ago, I think last year sometime, but just seems really right for what we want to look at this morning. And in many ways, I'm going to be sort of... Um, sort of loosely carrying on from where I got to a few weeks ago, actually. For those of you who were away or can't remember, we were looking at that scripture in John where John the Baptist said that I must become less and less and that he must be greater. So we were looking at humility. We were looking at um, allowing God to be God in our life, really, and submitting to what he has for us, what his plans are for our life rather than our plans and our dreams, but, but submitting, surrendering to him and what he wants to do. So we're going to sort of carry on in that kind of direction, really. So 2 Kings chapter 5, and we're going to read this story about Naaman. So we've got here, it says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. So he's a great man in sight of his master, highly regarded. Because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. So just quick, just catch us up, recap if we're not following well. We've got this guy Naaman, successful, he's doing well. Um, he's led his nation to victories in battle, um, and he's got leprosy. But um, a slave girl, someone who he probably... Um, I imagine might have even taken their family and sport their whole life, but this slave girl decides that she wants to help um, Naaman, so she is the one that suggests, why don't you go and see this guy, Elisha, because he can probably heal you. So the king allows him to go, so off he goes, Naaman, on his travels to try and get his healing. Verse 7, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. So that's, he's come all this way, he's traveled all this distance, he's been to a king, wrong guy, went to Elisha, and Elisha, the instructions that he gives is to go wash yourself in the river seven times. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. 
Are not Abana and Farpa the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. He doesn't like that he's got to wash in the river. He wants it to be done a different way. But Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. So God, I just pray you bless the reading of this word. Let it come alive in our hearts, I pray, as we look at this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So just quickly, just to spend a bit of time in the story. So what we have, we have this guy, Naaman. As I said, he is successful. He has won battles. He is wealthy. He is powerful. He's got the king who likes him. He's in a good position in life in so many ways, apart from this thing that he's got, leprosy. He's got this skin condition which he lives with. But it's amazing because despite this, he had still been able to become really successful. But then we have this servant girl who informs Naaman of a way that he might be able to be healed. So Naaman agrees to go off into this enemy territory because he desperately wants to be healed of his leprosy. So initially, he goes to the wrong person. He goes to the king, but the king says, well, it's not me. I can't do it. And then they realize you've got to go to the prophet. So they go to Elisha's house. And then Elisha gives Naaman this simple instruction just to go wash in a river seven times. Sounds quite simple to me, you know, not, not a lot involved. But Elisha doesn't like this. And sorry, not, not Elisha. Naaman, he doesn't like this. This isn't the response that he was hoping for. And he gets angry. He thinks, I'm too good to do that. I'm not going to go and wash in some smelly, dirty, horrible river seven times. Um, I, I think he wanted something more glamorous to happen, something a bit more, uh, I some fireworks or some trumpets or some sort sort of procession as part of his healing, but that's not what Elisha was saying. And it eventually, it took his servant to talk him around so that he was able to then eventually go and wash in that river, humble himself, wash in the river, and then we see that he was cleansed and he was healed of that skin condition that he had. I love this story. I think there is so, so, so much in this story that we can learn from. But this morning, I really want to, as I said, carry on from where we were a few weeks ago in this whole idea of being obedient to God, of having humility to listen to what he is saying, that we don't get stuck in our own pride and our own way that we want to do things, but that we are open and listening and humble and ready when God speaks to us to respond to him. So this morning, I'm going to take the, uh, borrow a whiteboard. It's one of those mornings. Right. So, I'm going to write a few things down on here. So first of all, what I want to write is Naaman. We've got Naaman. So Naaman, in this story, he has, I don't know how well this shows up, he has power. We see he's got power. He's, he's, in, he's in an army. He's been successful in these things as well. He has success. He has success. He has money. We can see that. He travels with chariots. 
He goes with money as well. And then he's got, it says that he's got loads of garments and things. So he's got things. He's got material things, all these things that people so often attain to have. This was a guy who had all of these things, powerful, successful. By the world standards, Naaman was doing really, really well. But then he has this, um, this girl that tells him, go to see Elisha. There's, there's, some, there's some guidance for him to do something. And he is humble enough to do so many things. First of all, he's humble enough to take the advice from a young slave girl. A young person, a slave girl, someone who was, quote-unquote, beneath him in so many ways. But he was humble enough to take this advice. He was then humble enough to ask permission from his king that he could leave and go to find this healing. That he could go into that different place. He asked permission to go. He traveled. He took the long journey, packed up all his things, all the things that were involved in going from one place to another place. He's got chariots. There's a whole brigade that goes with him. This isn't a guy on the back of a little horse that just goes on a journey. There's a whole procession that goes with him, and he's able to put all of that together so that he can go and seek his healing. And then he's willing to ask someone from enemy territory for some help. He goes to them. He's, he has the humility to be able to do that. And then finally, he goes to Elisha, and then he asks him for help. He asks Elisha for help. I know you can't read that, but it's all right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so Naaman's approach to where he was was to use all of this stuff up here, the power, the success, the money, the things. He wanted to use those things. He thought that because I have those things, I can do these things so that then I can get healed. He thought that all of his power, all his success, all the money, all the things, that that gave him enough standing to be able to do all the rest because then he was going to be able to receive the healing that he wanted. Somewhere in, in Naaman's story, he had bought into the idea that many of us buy into regularly. I know I regularly recognize that I've fallen into this. But he'd bought into the idea that for God to love us, for God to use us, for God to turn his face towards us, that we need to appear to have everything all together. That we need to be our best self. That we need to hide from him and from others maybe the parts of us that we're less proud of. I suspect that so much of Naaman's drive to get these things, the top things, the power, the success, was because he was trying to make amends in himself for the skin condition that he had. That was perhaps his driving force. I'm going to come back to this board shortly. I think for some of us, a lot of the time, we feel like we are very unqualified to be used for God. I think a lot of us feel unqualified that we could be someone who God would choose to use. And qualified that we would be someone who God would want to use our hands, that God would want to use our feet, our mouths. Someone unqualified that God might want to use us in all different kinds of ways. Maybe we feel unqualified that God would ever want to reach out to us and heal us or change us or build something in our life. We might see God do things in other people and we think, well, they, that's fine for them because they've got this and they've got that. They've got talents and gifts and success and power. So, of course, God's going to use those people. But many of us often feel very unqualified 
for God actually using us. I think sometimes we don't feel experienced enough. Maybe you didn't grow up in church, and there's other people in church. They've grown up in church. They know sort of the ins and the outs of how church works, all that rubbish. Maybe you feel like you didn't do that, and so therefore you feel unqualified. Maybe you feel like you don't know your Bible like some people know it. Maybe you feel like, well, I don't pray more, as much as that person prays. could be all kinds of things. But the Bible paints a very different picture to that. The Bible paints a very different picture to this idea that there are the qualified few and then the rest of the unqualified riffraff that God doesn't get used by God. Matthew 5, chapter 3 says, this is the words of Jesus, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So just for a couple of minutes, what is this? What is this passage? I find this passaging so, so much to grapple with in just these few words. So much involved, I think, here. But just really briefly, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, first of all, I don't think that this necessarily means uh, needing to be poor financially. I just don't think that I don't I don't think that adds up with other places in scripture that it means that if we are to be blessed we need to be in financial poverty. It just doesn't add up with other things in the Bible. I also though don't think that it means this what I've heard referred to as worm theology. This idea where we walk around just being like Mr. and Mrs. Negative all the time. I'm not very talented. I'm not very good at doing anything. I've not got it together. Everything's going wrong for me. Just, just misery just follows, follows me all the time, wherever I, whatever I do. You know, it's not that this isn't the poor in spirit that I think that Jesus is referring to either. I think that what Jesus means when he's talking about to be poor in spirit is I think that it means to have total dependence on Jesus. Being poor in spirit is to have total dependence on Jesus. So you can see how there might be a little overlap with those other uh, definitions which I had. Maybe sometimes it can be a little easier if you have less than if you have more. Sometimes maybe it could be a little bit easier in these different scenarios. But I don't think it means those things. It means to have total dependence on Jesus. You see, what a lot of us try to do, I think, a lot of the time is we try to build ourselves up in such a way. We try to build our own little kingdoms of ourselves. We try to build them in such a way that we can live completely self-sustained. We always want that bigger job, bigger pay packet, bigger house, so that we don't really need anyone else, really. We don't need God. I can get one by just fine without him, you know, that little bit of God icing on the top of my cake and that cake, that's lovely. But what we try to be is so self-sufficient with all the things that we build in life. And Naaman, as we see in this passage, he did a really good job at this. Naaman built this life for himself where he, he had everything that he needed, really. Everything that he needed, he had apart from the fact that he had this leprosy. Now, as I said, I don't think to be poor in spirit means that we shouldn't own houses and cars and clothes and phones and all this kind of thing. But what I do think it means is that these things shouldn't own us. These things shouldn't own us. They should not be a substitute for God. We can build these systems up where we're relying on them more than we're relying on God a lot of the time. 
I think it means that we need to maintain a deep belief that despite of all the things that we might have, that still we need Jesus. That we need Jesus. However many things we build, however things we acquire, whatever, how many things that we manage to earn and succeed in our life with, having this deep understanding, this deeply held belief realization that we need Jesus. And this is really humility, which we were talking about a few weeks ago. And as I said um, a few weeks ago, that kind of widely used definition of humility, that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And the kingdom of God, not wanting to um, encroach on Pastor Joseph's territory because he's in the middle of a series on the kingdom to us as well, but the kingdom of God is defined by a culture of humility. Humility is a defining part of the culture of the kingdom of God. You know, there are businesses, there are corporations all over the world. They must spend, they spend thousands, if not millions of pounds, trying to forge community, uh, culture in their communities, in their space where they are, in their companies. Culture is something they, 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 they really work hard at trying to get this culture down. They want a, a culture that people want to come and work for us, and it sort of defines who we are. People spend big, big money trying to do that. Culture is important, but in the kingdom of God, one of the driving characteristics is humility. The kingdom of God belongs not to those who depend on their career or their bank accounts. They take all these things, but to those who come to Jesus knowing that I need you. There's, a, there's an old sort of ancient prayer, which you may have heard, the, the Jesus prayer, and it's really simple. It just says, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, Son of, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, Naaman, Naaman could have missed out on his healing because he had brought into the idea that it was all of his success that was going to earn his healing. The things that he owned, the wealth that he had, the positions he held, they were not the problem. These things were not necessarily the problem, but there was something in the way that he was holding these things that was the stumbling block. He thought that his qualifications, these things here, were the way that he was going to access God's heart. I've done all of these things. I've got all of this stuff behind me. So as I have done that, if I do these things, then I'm going to earn what God wants to do in my life. He thought the qualifications were the way to God's heart, but it turned out that these things were actually the obstacle. These things were the obstacle to God doing what he wanted to do in Naaman. I've quoted this before, but the uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones, who writes the children's storybook Bible, she says, all Naaman needed was nothing, and it was the one thing he didn't have. All Naaman needed was nothing, and it was the one thing he didn't have. God wanted to heal Naaman. God had good things for him. Okay, this wasn't just God on a power trip where I want you to do what I'm saying because I just want you to do it. It was because he had good things planned for him. He wanted to heal him. He wanted to change his life. And God has got good things for us as well. 
God has got so much for you. God is a good God. We sung this morning, didn't we, that he makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. What an amazing promise, what God has for us, what God has for you. When God is asking us to do things, it's not, again, because of the power trip. It's because he wants you to be all that he sees that you can be, all that he has planned for you. He wants to turn all the mess of your past, all the brokenness, all the mistakes. He wants to turn it for good. He wants to do something wonderful in your life. But as we said a few weeks ago, that at some point in our walk with Jesus, our will and God's will collide. And we talked about this and what happens at that point when our will and God's will collide. What happens? Well, what we have the tendency to do is to draw a line. You see, Naaman had all of this stuff, so he thought, if I do these things, then I'm going to get my healing. But there was something else that God wanted him to do, and that was to wash seven times in that river. Naaman went this far. He asked for advice. He asked for permission. He traveled. He humbled himself to do all of these things. But at this point, Naaman drew a line. I've done all of this, God, but I'm not doing that. And Naaman drew a line at that point. I wonder whether you have drawn any lines before God in your life. Just going to rub this off real quickly. I wonder whether there are lines that you have drawn in your life. I know for me, I'm sure there are things that I have uh, said to God in the past that I don't want to do. There's probably some things that are there at the moment, whether I'm conscious of it or not, but God is good and he deals with that. But I wonder whether um, you have said this, these sort of conversations with God. God, I'm willing to do all these things for you. There's so much stuff that I'm willing to do for you. I'm willing to go to church. I'll spend my Sunday morning when I could be on the golf course or watching telly or having a coffee somewhere. I'll go to church. You know what? I might even go to Connect Group. I've got lots of things in my week. I'm really busy, but God, I'll do that for you. I'll go to Connect Group. Maybe you even pray. Maybe you have a bit of time in the week where you'll pray. You might read your Bible. Maybe you, uh, you give. You think, God, I give so much. I work really hard for my money, but God, you not see that I give some of it to you. We might help and serve on different things in church. We might be reaching out to different friends who don't know Jesus. And you might think, God, I'm doing all of these things for you. But maybe what if God asks you to do something else like washing in a river seven times? The equivalent of that. Something else that he wants you to do. I don't know what it could be. This will be different for all of us. Maybe God wants you to forgive someone. Maybe God wants you to, uh, to serve in a different way in church. Maybe God is asking you to share your faith with a friend or a colleague or someone that doesn't know him. And somewhere in that system, you have thought, God, I'll do all of this, but I'm drawing a line there. No more, God. I'm not doing anything else. Now, let me just say quickly, 
Boundaries are really important. <laughs> boundaries are really important. We could do a whole other talk about how important boundaries are. We need boundaries. You need boundaries. You probably need more boundaries. You need boundaries in your relationships. You need boundaries in your workplace. You need boundaries even in church sometimes. It's not that you will just say yes, yes, yes to everything. The goal of this is not to do more, more, more. It's to obey, obey, obey what God is saying. But for Naaman, you see, it was only when he eventually humbled himself and removed this line and obeyed what God had asked him to do that he received what God had for him. It was only when he removed that line that he had drawn that God came through, healed him, and did what he wanted to do in him. And then his life was changed. His skin was healed. But more importantly, so was his heart. You know, I suspect this was never really about his skin condition to God. It was his heart. It's funny, isn't it? Like leprosy is this condition where you can't feel things with your hands, but it's like he had leprosy of the heart. He couldn't feel what God was trying to do in him, and he ignored it. He drew that line. Just going back a few weeks John 3.30, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. We're going to sing in a few minutes. Theo, do you want to come up just as we finish? Just one more passage. I just want to read Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And here it says that Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Now this illustration which Jesus gives, this is more about money, I get that. But I think what this does is this shows what God's heart is like for us. The sort of thing that God loves to see in us. That when we don't give out all the things that we do have, I think Naaman was trying to operate out of what he did have and what he had done and what he had succeeded. But to actually offer God something that you don't have, I think that is something that just the heart of God just leaps at. And the thing is, just last thing, this line which I said, we draw the line, don't we? We draw the line at different things in our life. There's this bit in 1 Samuel, I think it is, where it says that to obey is better than sacrifice. Now, a lot of us, we look at all these things that we do in our life. Check, check, yeah, do that, do that, I do that, I do that. All these good things that I do, I sacrifice my time, I sacrifice my money, sacrifice my uh, comfort, sacrifice um, my home, all these different things that we do. And they're great. God, I'm not saying that God doesn't like those things. I'm sure he loves it. He loves it when we serve him. He loves it when we give to him. But when we cross this line right here, this line that we have drawn, I think that line marks the line of obedience. When we obey God, 
He loves it. If we want to please the heart of God, if we want to honor God, it is when we cross that line that I think his heart is filled with joy for what we're doing. Not to belittle these things, not to belittle the sacrifices, but obedience is better than sacrifice. Should we stand? And we're just going to just have a minute before we sing. We can just be still, just for a minute. We're just going to invite the Holy Spirit just to come, minister to us, speak to us, challenge us, convict us, comfort us. But I just pray, God, that as we stand here now, that you would point out to us any places where we have drawn lines before you. Any places where we've said, not there, God, I'm not doing that. Maybe there are places where in the past you got hurt, you got burned, and you thought, never again. So we just pray, just speak to us now, God. God, we want to be people, we want to be a church that are open to what you're doing. God, we want to be open to where you're leading us. We want to be open to what you say, what you have for us. Lord, so we repent right now. We repent of where we've drawn lines, God, where we have tried to bypass obedience to you. And getting what we want, Father God, we, we recognize now that we need you, Jesus. We can't do it by our own means. We can't do it by our own efforts. We need you, Jesus. So I just pray you help us in this moment now to obey. Help us when we leave today. If there's anything we need to action from this, help us to obey. Help us tomorrow morning, this week, to obey. Keep us from drawing these lines. Help us to get rid of them where we have drawn them down, Father God. We want to obey you. So as we sing now, I just encourage you, if you want to respond, it might be that you just open up your hands to God and just say, God, have your way. You might want to kneel down and just say, God, have your way. You might want to respond in whatever way you feel you need to respond this morning. The important thing is that we respond when God speaks, that we respond, that we respond. We don't just go off on our day. We respond to what he's doing in this moment. So we respond to you now, God. We respond to you now. Thank you, Jesus.